Welcome to the 180 Ministry Podcast. Please check us out at the1-80.org. There's power in prayer. Right now, I would like to invite your attention to two passages of Scripture. First, I would like to invite your attention to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse number one. That's the book of Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse number one. And once you have that scripture, I want you to put your finger right there for a moment. And then I want you to turn forward to the book of First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter five, verse number 17. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Someone once asked, uh, what is prayer? And someone responded that prayer is a solemn request for help or an expression of thanks addressed to God. Someone else said that prayer is a way of inviting God into your circumstances. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul encourages the Thessalonian believers to pray continually, to pray fervently, to pray without ceasing. This verse should encourage us as believers today to pray without ceasing. Why? Because the return of our Savior and Lord is fast approaching. Now, if you will, church, I would like for you to turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse number one. Amen. Praise God. Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse number one. And the word of God reads as thus. In fact, we will be reading verses one through five and then we will drop down to verse number 11. Amen. The word of God says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of the unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quadrants of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now, if you will, drop down to verse number 11. And the word of God reads, and when Peter was come to himself, he said, now I know of a surety that the Lord have sent his angel and have delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. At this time, church, I would like for us to focus our attention this morning on verse number five. Verse number five says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, to the hearing, 
And now let us prepare to get an understanding of God's word. If I had to place a title upon this message this morning, I would have to entitle it, There's Power in Prayer. There's Power in Prayer. And I ask right now, if you would pray with me, please. O gracious and most merciful Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace and mercy, dear God, recognizing that, yes, we've made some mistakes, that we are imperfect creatures, but we come before one that is perfect. And we thank you, almighty God, for your mercy, your grace, your love, and your compassion that you have extended anew unto us this day. And now, dear God, as we have gathered in this place, we are looking for a word from you. You know, almighty God, I don't have it. But I ask you, dear God, to just use me as a servant that you may deliver this meal unto your children. They have enjoyed the delicious appetizers thus far. They've enjoyed the songs that were sung, the musical notes that were played, the prayers that were prayed. Right now, dear God, they've saved room for the main course. And that main course is your word. So, dear God, I ask that you would remove me from me, replace me with thee, and that you would impart unto your children what you have for them today. And as always, Heavenly Father, we won't be selfish. What we gather here from you today, we will take it and go out and share it with others that others may taste and see that the Lord is good. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus the Christ. Our soul says, amen. 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 In verse number one of Acts chapter 12, it says, now about that time. Now, I have to stop right there, church, because when I was reading this chapter, I had read those four words and I had a question. Now, about that time, what time is the writer referring to? Could he be referring to the time of 1128? I don't think so. And in order for me to understand the time in which he is talking about, I had to go back in time. Back in time to understand what was going on at that time. So I went back to the book of Acts chapter 1. And I discovered as I went through Acts that there was a pattern that was developed. You see now about that time, what was happening? Well, in Acts chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, the scripture tells us that while they were in the upper room, that there abode 11 men and a few women. Also, you had Jesus' mother, she was there, as well as his brothers. So you had a total of 11 and some others. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, The word of God tells us now that the number is 120. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, the scripture now tells us the number is over 3,000. So we went from 11 and a few women to 120 to over 3,000. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, we find the words the scripture used to describe the number of believers as added Daily. In other words, the believers were being added daily to the church. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 4, the scripture tells us that the number of men now is about 5,000. 
In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, the word multitude is used for the very first time in the book of Acts to describe the number of believers. In Acts chapter 5, verse 14, the word of God uses the words added and now multitudes. In other words, an S is added to multitudes, which makes it plural and makes it even more. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the scripture uses the word multiplied as being used in order to describe the number of believers that is being multiplied, not now added, but multiplied into the church. In Acts chapter 9, verse 32, the church is growing deeper and wider. In other words, the message is going out wider, deeper, and further. In Acts chapter 11, verse 21 and 24, the scripture uses the words a great number and much people to describe the believers that is being added to the church. So as I stop there, and now I'm back in Acts chapter 12, verse number one, and it says now about that time, what time is he talking about? I think he's talking about the time in which the church is beginning to grow. And it says now about that time that Herod the king. Now I have to pause there also because when we're dealing with individuals, we want to know who they are. I'm quite sure, Brother Ron, when you deal with people in your business, you want to know who they are. So I want to know who this Herod the king is. Well, according to the Jewish historian Josephus, and as well as the Acts of the Apostles, Herod the king is none other than Herod Agrippa. Now, this Herod Agrippa, he had this knack of wanting to have popularity with the Jewish religious leaders. I'm talking about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin Council. He sought popularity with them. And the scripture says that now about that time that Herod stretched forth his hands to vex. To vex means to bring harm to, to injure, to try to destroy. He stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. So does that mean that Herod had an issue with the church that he sought to injure, to do harm with the church? Well, I don't think so. Because the scripture says that he stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. So in other words, Herod wasn't just had an issue with the church. He only had issues with certain members of the church. So that's why he stretched forth his hand against them. He was seeking popularity from the religious leaders. So he stretched forth his hand against certain of the church. Now I began to ponder this question. What certain of the church did Herod have an issue with? Now could it be that he had an issue with those that came into the sanctuary and sat in the pews and went to sleep? No, I don't think Herod would have had an issue with them. Could it be that he had an issue with those that came into the sanctuary on the Sabbath day and they brought their Bibles, but yet this is the only day that they even picked up their Bibles? No, I don't think Herod had an issue with that. 
I think Herod had an issue with those faithful ones. You know those Bible reading, word meditating, knee praying, ministry participating members of the church. He had issues with those that spoke boldly against the Lord and those who had positions. Because in verse number two, it says that he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, it pleased the Jews, those religious leaders. It says that he proceeded further to take Peter. And now I'm asking you to go inside the mind of Herod. He takes James, the brother of John, who's, he's an apostle, of course, and he has him killed with the sword, and he sees that this pleases the people. Now, remember, James is just a minor member there. He is not as bold and outspoken as Peter. So Herod thinks this, if I took James and I had him beheaded, this minor figure, and the Jews rejoiced over it, how much more will they rejoice if I was to take Peter, the boldest speaker of the apostles, and if I was to execute him, that would increase my popularity and that will have them to like me even more. The scripture says, and when he had apprehended him, he had Peter arrested. He had Peter arrested. And then it says he had him put in prison. Now, some of us may feel sorry for Peter, but I didn't feel sorry for Peter because as reading through the book, this is not Peter's first go round of being in prison. No, it's not. If you turn back with me to the book of Acts chapter five, In the book of Acts chapter 5, praise God, verse number 18, and matter of fact, we'll start at verse number 17. The scripture says, then the high priest rose up and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in common prison. Now, Peter was one of those apostles that was put in prison. So this was not Peter's first go-round of being in prison. But do you know what, church? God had something different planned. Because in verse number 18, it says, and they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in common prison. Verse number 19, but I gotta stop right there, church. I have to stop right there because that word, but, that word, but, believe it or not, that's a very important word. Now, somebody might say, well, Elder, why, why is the word but so important? Well, I would have to take you back to the time when I was a little kid growing up. And yes, yes, I can remember that far back. I know some people. But I remember as I was growing up, I was having trouble in school. I was having trouble in English class. Now, on Saturday mornings, I used to watch cartoons on TV. Now, I did not grow up in Venice, so please do not hold that against me. But on Saturday mornings, I used to watch television and I used to watch cartoons. And in between those cartoons, they had this commercial called Scholastic Rock. 
And Scholastic Rock was a 30-second to 45-second um, commercial, but it taught you about math, or it taught you about science, or it taught you about English. And I watched Scholastic Rock, and I found out what a conjunction was. And the word but is a conjunction. A conjunction is used to hook up words, phrases, and clauses. Now, I remember the song, it goes something like, conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up words and phrases and clauses. And so I remember that, and that helped me in school, but it also helps me here in understanding this text, because in verse number 19, it says, but, and I found out that in that word, but, and he is a special conjunction, because what is said after the word but normally is opposite or contrary to what is said before the word but. Let me say that again. What is said after the word but is contrary or opposite to what was said before the word but. So let's go back to verse 18. It says, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in common prison. But verse number 19 says, but the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth. So in other words, they were in prison in verse 18, but, but the angel of the Lord came and delivered them out of prison. Now, somebody might say, well, Elder, uh, did we have to go back there? I think we did because then we could understand why Herod did what he did next. Because knowing that this was not Peter's first go-round in prison, knowing that he had escaped before, the scripture says in verse number four, after he had apprehended Peter, he put him in prison and he delivered him to four quadrants of soldiers. Now, if you don't understand the significance of that, then allow me to dissect this thing so you can better digest this thing. You see, a quadrant consists of four soldiers. A quadrant consists of four soldiers. So Peter, one man, was delivered to four quadrants of soldiers. Four times four is 16. So one prisoner, in the custody of 16 soldiers. Now, could not Herod had understood now that he got away from us once, that he will not get away from us again? So that could be why he did that. But look at verse number five, which is our focus verse for today. It says, Peter therefore was kept in prison. And then we see that word, church, but, 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 and remember that but is that conjunction, and what comes afterward is opposite of what was said before. And it says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now, I know someone's probably saying, hold on, Elder, hold on. You said that it was going to be the opposite of what was said. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing for him. There's power 
in prayer, church. There's power in prayer. And how do I know that there's power in prayer? Because what came after but was Peter's release. Drop down to verse number 11. The word of God says, and when Peter was come to himself, he said, now I know for a surety that the Lord have sent his angel and have delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people and of the Jews. In other words, church, there's power in prayer. In Acts chapter 12, verse number five, the Bible instructs us once again that prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God. What was made? Prayer. How was it made? Without ceasing. Who was it made by? The church. Who was it made to? God. For what reason? For Peter to be released from prison. You see, church, Peter was locked up on death row, about to be executed. But somebody prayed for him. There's power in prayer, in intercessory prayer. That story of Peter in Acts chapter 12, it reminds me of two things. First of all, it reminds me of a song written by a lady by the name of Dorothy Norwood. Dorothy Norwood wrote a song entitled, Somebody Prayed for Me. And I know that my gift is not singing, so I'm not going to try to sing those songs to you, so I'm going to just tell you the lyrics to that song. It says, somebody prayed for me. They had me on their mind. They took the time to pray for me. I'm so glad they prayed that they took that time to pray. I'm so glad they prayed for me. And then you can add anyone into those lyrics, whether it can be a relationship with someone or it could be the person's name. I think we all can associate with this when we, when we can sing, my mother prayed for me. She had me on her mind. She took the time to pray for me. I'm so glad she prayed, that she took that time to pray. I'm so glad she prayed for me. Now, I said that the story of Peter reminds me of two things. One, the song that was written by Dorothy Norwood entitled Somebody Prayed For Me. But also it reminds me the story of a young man named Bob and the power of prayer. You see, church, Bob was a soldier, not in the U.S. Army, not in the army of the Lord, but in the army and the service for Satan. Sure, Bob was raised up in the church, but when he became of age, he got lost in the world, addicted to money, drugs, alcohol, and women. Satan had Bob enslaved, ensnared, and entrapped in his service. Little did Bob know that the one whom he was so faithfully serving was seeking to steal, kill, and destroy him. But somebody prayed for Bob. In 1989, Bob was arrested. He was convicted of first-degree murder, death, and the carrying and concealing of a deadly weapon. 
the one who Bob had served so faithfully for so many years, rejoiced at his arrest. It had appeared that he had succeeded, triumphed, and was victorious in his quest to steal, kill, and destroy the life of Bob. For Bob was sentenced to life in prison, plus three years, plus 18 months. And those sentences were to be served what they call concurrently. In other words, after serving a life sentence, Bob would have to serve three years. Then after serving three years, he would have to serve 18 months. And in the state that Bob was arrested in, life meant just that, life. But somebody prayed for Bob. You see, while in prison, Bob had a dream. In that dream, someone clothed in all white appeared unto him and said, baby boy, everything is going to be all right. It was then that Bob awoke crying with tears coming down his cheeks. He could not cry aloud for fear of awakening his cell buddy. So right there in that prison, on that top bunk, Bob got on his knees and he cried out to Jesus. You see, from that time on, Bob started reading his Bible, attending Bible studies, and going to chapel services on Sundays. You see, it was not until 1992 that the Sabbath was revealed to Bob. And like most Sunday keepers, Bob kicked against the pricks. But the love of the brethren, the truth of God's word, and the guiding of the Holy Spirit led Bob to become an Adventist in 1999. Somebody prayed for Bob. Bob began to serve faithfully in the Adventist church inside the prison. He also helped the community inside the prison, assisting brothers in getting enrolled in self-help programs to better themselves and to prepare them for when they were released. All the while, Bob was always searching for an opportunity to tell someone about the goodness of Jesus. The enemy, Bob's former commander-in-chief, he did not forget about Bob, and he saw Bob's life changing. So he tried his old tricks of drugs, jailhouse wine, flirtatious female officers to seduce Bob into coming back to him. But somebody prayed for Bob. And Bob, he prayed for himself. He prayed for strength. Strength to overcome the temptations. Strength to overcome the addictions. Strength to overcome the seductions. Bob prayed for deliverance. Deliverance not from prison, but from those satanic attacks. God graciously granted that young man's request. Yes. But how many of you know that my God can do exceeding and abundantly above all that we ask and think? It was now the year of 2019, 30 years of incarceration, 30 years of faithful service to the Lord. Bob was now scheduled for his second parole hearing. He didn't think it to be nothing but another formality. 
that he had to go through because in the state of Maryland, life meant just that, life. As Bob sat there before the parole board, prepared to answer their questions, Bob was surprised that they had no questions for him. They simply said that they were going to send his case up to the governor's office for parole. Now, of course, Bob was shocked, but Bob was not speechless. As he said, praise the Lord. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good, which had become a favorite saying of Bob's while he was locked up. The parole board stated that the governor had 90 days, 90 days to act on their decision. Bob said, praise the Lord, let God's will be done. Somebody prayed for Bob because Bob never prayed to be released from prison. In his 30 years, Bob's prayer has always been, God, you know me better than I know myself. If you know that when I get out that I'm going to leave you, then don't let me out. I'd rather die in prison with you than to die outside of prison without you. The enemy did not forget about Bob. He was sticking to his agenda of attempting to steal, kill, and destroy him. So he launched his fiercest attack at Bob. During that 90-day period of awaiting the governor's decision, Bob did as his custom was which is to be in the chapel on the Sabbath day. And while giving an exhortation, Bob felt something pop in the back of his head. He felt this pain go down his back all the way down to his feet. Bob began to get dizzy and he developed a headache like he had never had before. Bob completed the exhortation. He completed the worship service and afterwards Bob sought help from the prison medical staff. They first gave him aspirin and instructed him to fill out a sick call slip and we'll call you to come in. All the while, Bob was in terrible pain. Four days later, four days later, Bob was rushed 911 out of the prison to a local hospital. There it was diagnosed that Bob had had an aneurysm in the head. The doctors immediately began to run test after test after test because although they were unsure as to how the aneurysm sealed itself, they wanted to test to see if Bob had developed a case of meningitis. Meningitis coming from the leaking of the aneurysm inside the brain, possibly getting on the menges that are inside the brain and causing meningitis. This could lead and cause a stroke in Bob's life. Now, the doctors may have been unsure as to how the aneurysm got sealed, but Bob knew. You see, just like Martha and Mary knew that Jesus can be four days late, yes. but he can still be right on yes. time. Yes, Somebody prayed for Bob while in the hospital, the church inside the prison prayed for Bob. Also, the churches outside the prison prayed for Bob. Pasadena, 
Lithicum, Sligo, Beltsville, Seabrook, they all prayed for Bob. All the test results came back negative for Bob. After six days, Bob was released and sent back to the prison with some noticeable abnormalities. His legs were weak, his equilibrium was off, and he could not turn his head sharply in any direction. The doctors stated that possibly, possibly in time, all those things could be restored. When Bob arrived back to the prison, Bob testified and gave God all the praise, the glory, and the honor for the healing. It was then that one of the members of the outside prison ministry team said, Bob, the enemy was trying to steal your blessing because we have asked our pastor at our church to have you deliver a message and share a word with us in the month of June. You see, Bob was so caught up and focused on his illness that he had forgotten about the parole board's papers sitting on the governor's desk. Now, Bob may have forgotten, but God didn't. Somebody prayed for Bob. In February of 2020, Bob was once again called to see the parole board who stated that the governor sent the papers back to the parole board and they have decided that on June 1st, 2020, that Bob was to be released on parole from prison. A lifer in the state of Maryland being released on parole? Nothing is impossible with God. Today, Bob is still serving faithfully in the Adventist church. In fact, Bob stands before you here today, a living testimony that there is power in prayer. We all know someone like Bob. Sure, they may not be incarcerated physically, but spiritually, they are locked up in the prison cells of their mind and they need somebody to pray for them. Just like somebody prayed for Peter, just like somebody prayed for Bob, just like somebody prayed for you. Somebody prayed for you. And you know who that somebody is. And then there's others that have prayed for you that you don't even know, but God knows. There's power in prayer in intercessory prayer. And thank God that in John chapter 17, verse number 20, that Jesus prayed for us. You see, while speaking to the Father about the disciples, in verse number 20, Jesus said, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. My Jesus prayed for me. He had me on his mind. He took the time to pray for me. I'm so glad he prayed that he took that time to pray. I'm so glad he prayed for me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus the Christ, we thank you, almighty God, for just having your spirit in the midst with us today. We thank you, dear God, for the words that were spoken and we ask, Almighty God, that you will have this to resonate in our hearts, 
and that we would take time to pray for someone. Because just as someone prayed for us, let us pray for others. Now unto him that is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. And it's in the precious name of Jesus the Christ that we pray. Our soul says, amen. I leave you as I came, giving all praise, glory, and honor to our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Please look us up online at the1-80.org and at the 180 YouTube channel. Please reach out to us with any questions or prayer requests. Until next time, thanks for listening.